Ramble. My dogs will eat anything. I mean, I have two Frenchies and it's a daily struggle to keep them from trying to eat toilet paper, bees, even trash. My dogs have no idea what's good for them. And you know, that's okay because their job is to be cute. My job is to take care of them to the best of my ability. That is why I only buy the farmer's dog dog food. Think about it. Most dog foods claims it's made out of whole ingredients. But then why does it come in the form of these very crusty pellets? But dogs will eat anything you give them, even dry kibble. Most dog food claims that they're made out of whole ingredients. But when I stare at these dry kibbles, it's very hard for me to see the whole ingredients. And I always had to mix in bone broth or water because it would be so dry that my dogs would eat too quickly and they would hack it up. It just didn't look tasty. The farmer's dog believes that all dogs deserve to eat real fresh food. That's why farmer's dog dog food is made from whole wheat and veggies and gently cooked in human grade kitchens to preserve nutritional value. It makes me feel so good seeing my dog's little tails wagging. Sometimes Mango's entire butt will shake when it's time for their dinner because they know and I know that they're eating fresh healthy food. It genuinely looks like human food. I've noticed such an improvement in how shiny and soft their coat is and their breath doesn't teleport me into another dimension anymore. I can see the veggies in their food. I mean my dog always gains a little bit of weight this time last year just because they move around less when it gets a little bit colder. So I feel like it's very important to always watch portions in the winter months. The farmer's dog makes it easy to monitor my dog's portions. Our dog's meals arrive in pre-portioned ready-to-serve packs which is super convenient. All you need to do is tell the farmer's dog about your puppy or your dog and they'll deliver personalized vet-developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. And you can adjust the recipe selection, portion sizes, and delivery cadence according to your needs and schedule. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. Now, this episode's going to be a little bit different because we will be uploading the video version on YouTube under the channel name Stephanie Sue later today. And because there's so many clips, there's a lot of photos, and this is an ongoing case of the Idaho murders. So with that being said, and like there's breaking news, with that being said, let's get into it. Before we get into this video, I just want to say that this video was filmed a couple of days ago and I have been feverishly editing this video to get it up and while I was almost done editing, there was breaking news. If you guys have been intently following this case, the police have finally made an arrest in connection with the University of Idaho murders. 28-year-old Brian Koberger has been arrested. If this is confusing to you, just listen to the whole video and then at the end, I'm going to give you the update, the latest update that we have, that is. Okay, there's not really going to be an intro for this video because we're talking about the current ongoing case of the four murdered University of Idaho students. This case has been terrifying for, I think, everyone to read and listen to as it develops because it is just a senseless, terrifying murder that doesn't make sense in a safe college town in a single house where six college students were sound asleep one night and by the next morning, four of them were dead. Four of them were murdered. And the police have yet to catch the killer. The or the killers. I mean, this case has been everywhere recently. A TikToker is being sued for defamation by one of the professors at the college who she accused of being the killer. You're like, how did she know? Well, she read a tarot card apparently that told her the professor was the killer. What? Yeah. In the so, world is going on? I mean, this case, like as I'm researching, I just don't even understand 
any of it. If you guys have any real tips, real witness statements, please reach out to fbi.gov slash Moscow, Idaho, or contact the tip line at tipline at ci.moscow.id.us or call 208-883-7180. I'm going to leave all of that in the description, but please leave your tarot cards aside for this case and for all true crime cases because that doesn't even make sense. This house has been at the center of a lot of media coverage. This is the crime scene. It's been at the center of social media discourse and what feels like a tornado of just internet speculations. And it is 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho. I imagine just driving by this house. The first thing that I would notice is that the building itself is interesting it's not typical the house is built on a hill that means you have two access points you've got the front door and the back door and you're like okay yeah well so do a lot of single family homes but because the back of the house is built on a hill the front door leads you straight into the first floor sliding glass patio door leads you straight onto the second floor it's a very interesting house and it's almost like if you took a two-story home cut it in half and then raised half of it above that's kind of what it looks like from the side i mean just look at the picture And the house isn't even small. So it's a three-story house, six bedrooms, two bedrooms on each floor, three bathrooms. It almost feels like three separate two-bedroom apartments, but instead of being separated by locked doors, it's by stairs. And just to make it a bit more clear, the easiest way to access the first floor is to drive into the driveway, park your car, go in through the front door, Boom, you're in the first floor. There are two ways to get access to the second floor. This is all important, okay? I just want you to know the house set up. Enter through the front door that leads you to the first floor. Take the stairs, boom, you're on the second floor. Or go around the back, go through the sliding glass window. Sliding window or doors? Door. Boom, you're in the second floor without having to pass by any of the other floors. Now, the third floor has a balcony, but it has no stairs leading up and down the balcony. So you can't really access the third floor without at least passing by one of the other floors. So to get to the third floor, you either go through the front door, walk through the first floor, go up the stairs, walk through the second floor, go up the stairs, boom, you're in the third floor. Or you enter through the back via the sliding glass door and enter into the second floor, take one flight of stairs, boom, you're on the third floor. Basically, there's no way to get to the third floor without walking through some of the floors of the house in the inside. That, with the fact that this house is so close to the campus, of University of Idaho, it was primarily rented to students. It's almost like the perfect dorming situation. It feels like a dorm house, but you still get some of the the peace and quiet. A lot of roommates, but it's separated by a lot of floors. Cheaper rent, but you can still focus when you're in your room because there's only two people on each floor. There were five girls living in that house and one official guy roommate. And last month, all six of them were sleeping peacefully in the house when four ended up murdered in their rooms. Two survived, and apparently they didn't even know that the roommates were being killed in the middle of the night. So I guess the next important question is, who are the roommates? So we're going to break it down by who lived on which floor. Let's stop from the top and work our way down. There's three floors. We're going to start at the third floor, the top floor. There was Kaylee and Maddie. These two college students had actually moved in together. They knew each other way before getting into college. Kaylee Jade Goncalves was born in California. She was a middle child in a really big family. And every middle child is like, okay, I know how that feels like. The older ones think they're too cool for you. The younger ones think that you're way too old for them. But Kaylee had no problem fitting in. Like she just had a way of making her mark in the world. That's how everybody describes her. In fact, she was born with a straight up small scar on her forehead. No doctor, no nurse had any idea how she got that scar and because of this mystery because of this little mystery scar her whole life her whole family had been making jokes and they would say you know kaylee that's where your devil horns try to come out 
<laughs> and I think it was a cute joke mainly because it couldn't have been further from the truth. Does that make sense? Like everyone knew Kaylee was this sweet, responsible, easygoing child. So they could make these kinds of jokes and nobody would get butt hurt. So Kaylee grew up not causing much trouble. And in middle school, she had moved to Idaho at this point. She becomes attached at the hip with this girl that she meets in school, Maddie Mogan. I mean, you would probably need a saw to separate the two of them. Madison May Mogan was born in Eugene, Oregon. So it's kind of interesting that both families weren't originally from Idaho, but they all moved when Kaylee and Maddie were toddlers. And I don't know what it was, but these two girls, once they found each other, inseparable. I haven't heard of friendship this strong in a really long time. They were like best friend soulmates. As soon as they met, both families felt like they unwillingly adopted another daughter into their family. So Maddie and Kaylee, they would go on these family vacations together. They're constantly spending the nights at each other's place. There's like no secrets between them. It's said that if Kaylee got drunk and she started drunk texting or drunk calling her boyfriend, Maddie would be like, you know what? I'm gonna call him too. <laughs> so if that's not sisterhood, I don't know what is. These are the stories that have been told Old. And, you know, they all got along with each other's families until it's time to go to high school. They insisted that they needed to go to the same high school. It's like a charter school, a gifted school. Obviously, the parents are like, yeah, sounds great. But how do we know that you actually want to go to this school? And it's not because you just want to be with your best friend. So both sides of the family forced these two girls to sit there and write these letters explaining why they wanted to attend the school that had nothing to do with each other. So both girls go to the same high school and... They were just very smart. Like, I think at this point, the parents had enough trust in them, even as high schoolers. So in 2019, they both get into the University of Idaho, and this time they didn't have to write a letter telling them, no, I want to go to the University of Idaho, not because of my best friend. I think the parents trusted them enough. So Kaylee went to the University of Idaho to study um, being an elementary school teacher. Maddie wanted to get into marketing. Side note about Maddie, she was on the dean's list every single semester. She was super passionate about her major and on the side she's working as a server at a greek restaurant and she went into marketing for the greek restaurant at one point she was doing a lot like she was very passionate about her future there was just a lot in her future for her same with kaylee college was interesting because they both maintained a super strong friendship but they also tried to do their own thing so they ended up living in the same house they both rented a room on the third floor of the king road house so they lived together but they joined completely separate sororities they had different majors they had different friends from those majors from those sororities and in the end it's kind of like family you go out you do your own thing without your sister but you come home and you're like oh my god how did your day go that's how it was on the third floor now onto the second floor of the house that you can enter through the sliding glass door. So on the second floor, we have Zana Kernodal and Zana was born in Idaho. And it's like she was just born a star athlete. <laughs> Obviously, she put in a lot of hard work and determination and grit. Like she had all of that, but she really could do it all. I mean, she did everything from gymnastics to volleyball to track to soccer. I mean, she loved anything outdoorsy, hikes, camping. She was also a big family person. Spent a ton of time with her dad and her brother going on these hikes. She would go to her grandfather's farm. He owned this farm and she would visit and meditate near the riverbank. She just loved people, activity, like getting her blood flowing. And she loved being around animals. Like that was her thing. So she graduates in 2020 of high school. Honestly sucked. I mean, this is like the worst time to graduate. You don't even get a proper graduation ceremony because... 
we all know what happened in 2020. And so by the time that she gets into the UI, University of Idaho, she is so excited. I mean, she's a really social person. She feels like after a year of lockdowns, I want to spread my wings again. I want to make connections, right? Get to know people. Now, it's not clear how Xana came to move in, whether she moved in and it was a coincidence that Maddie was a roommate or she moved in because Maddie was a roommate. So I'm not sure. Xana and Maddie saw each other a lot on campus. They were both marketing majors. They were both in the same sorority and they both worked at the same local Greek restaurant. Now, Xana moved into the second floor. Her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, was kind of like an unofficial roommate. Ethan technically officially lived on Fraternity Row on campus, which is like about a mile away from the King Roadhouse. But he spent most of his nights with Xana. And it didn't seem like anybody was bothered by it. Like it wasn't like a roommate drama situation. In fact, everyone in the house, at least from the outside looking in, they all got along. So a little bit about Ethan. Ethan was the oldest of triplets. So he was born in Seattle. He was the firstborn, and then back to back, his siblings came out. Similar to Zanna, Ethan was super athletic. He was close with his family. He loved to go on these hikes. He loved going on summer vacations. Anything sports related, Ethan was into it. And I can totally see how these two click. He got accepted to UI, started studying tourism management and recreational sports. And that's where he met Zanna. And the two start dating. So those are the second floor residents. And on the first floor, you can easily find their names and pictures online, but there's two female roommates. I'm just going to call them the two other roommates. So they were not murdered that night, and they've been on the receiving end of a lot of speculation and whispers. On the first floor, there was um, the two roommates. So five official roommates and Ethan, the unofficial roommate. And by all accounts, they got along really well, at least from what we can see. This is actually the last photo that Kaylee posted on Instagram hours before the murder. Kaylee posted this of all the roommates in the house and it read, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day, heart emoji. This is my favorite way to unwind at the end of a long day. I make myself some hot chocolate, I wrap up in my coziest blanket and I become Detective June Parkett. I don't actually become a detective, but that's how I feel when I'm playing June's Journey. You play as June, and the story starts with you flying from London to New York to investigate the suspicious murder of your sister and brother-in-law. But that's just the first in a very long line of suspicious murders. There's so many family secrets, twists, and you get to uncover all of these mysteries through a series of hidden objects games. Like you search for hidden letters or other objects that help you advance in the story. The storytelling in this game is impeccable. I mean, every detail is important. It stimulates you because you feel like a detective. The game takes June literally all around the world, from New York to Havana to Paris, and you get to meet all kinds of characters. I do not trust any new characters at this point because everybody seems to have a hidden motive. And as the story is progressing, you can learn about new characters as you collect bits of information to build your photo album. I also really love the dialogue in this game and just how immersive it is. There are some scenes where you really feel like you are Detective June. There's mystery, murder, danger, even romance. Sometimes it does get a little intense, so if I feel like taking a break from all the crazy plot twists, I go back to my little private island. Okay, it's not little, it's actually huge. It's called Orchid Island, and I get to decorate it in any way that I want. I have a waterfall on my island, and I'm currently making a train station route. There's just something so satisfying about getting to color code everything and make sure all the pieces fit. It's such a cozy yet thrilling game. It's almost as satisfying as puzzling the pieces of June's family's mysteries together because, listen, I'm telling you, my husband will definitely find me on the couch later today playing June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. I'm the type of person who's hyper aware of what I put in my body. 
I have a lot of food intolerances and it feels like every year I discover new ones. If you have allergies or IBS or you choose to avoid certain foods for personal reasons, you know the food FOMO is real and it's just not fun. A month ago, we went to Jeju Island, which is famous for pork, but because I'm allergic, I was just standing there watching everyone gobble up the food. And recently, I almost gave up morning coffee because I'm so sensitive to dairy these days and black coffee just does not hit the spot. Thankfully, I found out about minor figures and now I don't have to start my days on a bitter note. Literally, Minor Figures is an oat milk brand. They're 100% plant-based, carbon neutral, and B Corp certified. So not only do I get to enjoy my coffee, but I don't have to worry about anything irritating my stomach. There are no stabilizers or additives. And what I love is that Minor Figures Barista Oat really helps showcase the natural characteristics of the coffee. It's not just there to carry the coffee flavor, but it enhances it. So you know how at-home coffee never hits the spot like coffee shop coffee? With Minor Figures, it does. You can really taste the coffee versus the oat milk. It's delicious. You can buy their products online at us.minorfigures.com. You can also discover fun games, music playlists, and explore their store locator to see where you can buy Minor Figures near you. For my listeners in Denver and New York, Minor Figures is also now available at Whole Foods. So now that we know the roommates, there's something you need to know about the University of Idaho for this to kind of make sense. I'm just trying to give you context of this senseless murder, which it's never going to make sense because it's a senseless murder, but just more context. The University of Idaho is in Moscow, Idaho, and the population in this small town is probably like 25,000 residents. And the best way to describe it is like it's pure college town. About 40% of the population are college kids. The older residents, they all probably graduated from UI. They either work for UI or they have businesses now catering to the college town. It's such a close-knit family. Everyone seems to like it there. Um, Well, everyone but like the older retired residents who probably value peace and quiet. Sometimes during the weekends, it felt like the whole college town turned into campus, like a giant party campus during the weekend. Endless weekends. It's a pretty party-centric university. But other than that, people loved living there. There were job opportunities, super low violent crime rates. Moscow, Idaho actually has 80% less than the national average of crime. Before last month, there hadn't been a murder in Moscow, Idaho since 2015. I mean, it's genuinely the type of town where I feel like people really wouldn't bat an eye to leaving a door unlocked, to not be constantly looking over their shoulder in dark parking lots. Like, usually when I say that, I'm like, it's a small town where nobody locked their doors. I'm like, come on now, people lock your doors. But I can genuinely see why people in Moscow, Idaho didn't. An example was on September 1st, the cops actually were called to the King Road house, the crime scene. So a couple months before the murders, locals were complaining about a wild party that was going on inside the house. The police drove up. They could hear the music blasting through the house. They knock on the front door. Nobody answers. Okay, maybe they can't hear it through the music. They wait 10 minutes till finally a couple of random dudes just open the door and they're like, oh, sorry, we'll turn down the music, but we don't even live here. Maddie and Kaylee live here and they're not home. So one of the guys pulled out his phone, you know, dialed Maddie's number, gave it to the police officer who basically told the girls, yeah, come home, break up the party. We got a noise complaint. We're only here for a noise complaint. Come to the damn door. Um, this is one of the owners of this here. Hi, this is Officer Welsh from Moscow Police Department. We received a noise complaint um, of loud music, partying. So I think to those who've never been to like an American college or like never were part of the college party life, like me, <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but a lot of times you'll find that students are comfortable leaving their homes to their friends and potentially even friends of friends that are complete strangers to them because, you know, they'll go out. It, it's 
it's more of like a dorm vibe. Like this house, yes, it's a single family house, but think of it more of like a dorm. So people are constantly in and out. Yeah. So a lot of the times the doors would be unlocked because co- people are constantly in and out. A lot of UI students said they never personally locked any doors or windows. Like it's a safe town. And if you have roommates, you've got a lot of friends and roommates that are in and out. And it's just more convenient. Think about it. You're coming home drunk. You really want to like sit there and stumble through the front door. You could just leave it unlocked for everyone. The town had literally no reason to scare anybody into locking their doors. It was that safe. Everyone is somehow connected to everyone. We don't even know if the doors were ever unlocked at the King Road house. It's just speculation, but I'm just giving you context so nobody feels the need to be like, why didn't they just lock their doors? Now, let's talk about November 12th, 2022, the night of the murders, the night that would change just like the entire town, the students... I mean, people were flocking home from Moscow, Idaho after this night. This night literally changed everything. But it didn't start that way. It didn't start like a special night. It was a very normal night. Kaylee and Maddie decided that they were going to go to a local club called the Corner Club. Zayna and Ethan, they went out together. The bottom first floor roommates, they went out separately. So they're all doing their own thing. Basically, around 1 a.m., the first floor roommates come back home. They're the first ones back. 45 minutes later, the second floor roommates, Zana and Ethan, the couple, they come back home. Meanwhile, Kaylee and Maddie are about to make their way home, but they're like, wait, let's stop for some food real quick. So they left the club around 1.30 a.m., went to a local food truck to grab some pasta. The truck is called Grub Truckers, and they have CCTV that has been released that caught the two girls ordering their food. This CCTV has probably been rewatched, rewatched, and dissected a million times by law enforcement and social media sleuths, just everyone, really. So here's what's normal about the footage. The girls seem relaxed. They don't seem tense or scared of anything or anyone. They don't seem intoxicated or incoherent. They're just ordering carbonara pasta. They're taking pictures of the food, nothing out of the ordinary. Here's what's not so normal. There's a guy in the crowd that looks like he's watching them. And he has a baseball cap and a hood pulled over it. And we're going to call him Mystery Guy. So Mystery Guy doesn't interact directly with the girls in the video. But if you watch the start of the video, it does appear like he walks up with them. Uh, Like not with them, like he's not side by side, but kind of almost as if you had someone walking slowly in a group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what's weird is that he lingers back once they get to the food truck and the girls never acknowledge his existence. While they order their food, they never turn around and go, hey, do you want something? Does it seem like they know someone's following them? No, it's like just a random dude, you know? It's not like they don't care for his existence. I'm not saying that they were weird or rude in any way, but just imagine you're minding your own business and this guy has nothing to do with you. That's kind of how I see the girls being. So mystery guy, the one in the cap and the hood, starts up a random conversation with a random guy in the little crowd. So because there's like a crowd of college kids like trying to order their stuff and eating. Mm -hmm. And we're going to call him Jim, the crowd guy. So he's chatting up with Jim, implying that he's with the girls. Jim later told the police like he told me he was with the girls. (sighs) Even though the girls had never done anything to indicate or even acknowledge his presence. Now, Jim, the crowd guy, notices the two girls had now grabbed their food and they were entering into an Uber or like a cab. And he points to the mystery guy like, oh, hey, your friends are leaving. And he just reportedly says, what the fuck? And walks away. Why would he tell Jim, the crowd guy, that he's with the girls when nothing the girls did indicate that they were together in a group? So it led people to speculate. The girls either had no idea that this guy claimed that he was with them or was even going to the food truck because of them. Like they have no idea this guy is even looking at them. Or maybe they ran into someone at the club who was just not getting the hit that they didn't want to keep hanging out. And he just kept following them 
and they're straight up ignoring him because like we don't even know you dude and he's not getting the hint and finally when they found their chance they got into a cab and left I, I could see that happening um, and I only feel like that's more plausible because first of all, it's not uncommon for some types of people to not get the hint, but I say that more so because the police said that mystery guy has been cleared of suspicion. They found mystery guy, they talked to Jim, the crowd guy, and mystery guy has been cleared of suspicion, but no other details have been released. So I'm thinking maybe it was one of those situations where he followed them from the club, didn't get the hint, and then they left, so he's like, what the Anyway, Kaylee and Maddie get home around 1.55 a.m. So now it's the morning of November 13th for everyone. And at 2.25 a.m., Kaylee's phone was active. And there were six outgoing calls from her phone from 2.26 to 2.44 a.m. So about 18 minutes. There were six outgoing calls to her ex-boyfriend. None of the calls were picked up. Then from 2.44 a.m. to 2.52 a.m., there were three calls made to the same ex-boyfriend of Kaylee's from Maddie's phone. So all nine calls went unanswered. The ex-boyfriend would later claim, I didn't pick up because I was asleep. Can they also track the location of the boyfriend's phone? So the ex-boyfriend has been cleared by the police. The ex-boyfriend's aunt has said to the New York Post that the ex is devastated. She said, and I quote, he's not only lost the love of his life and what we all thought and he probably thought was, well, would be his future wife, you know, get married and have kids and all of that. But also half of America thinks he could be responsible for the heinous killings. So the two broke up weeks before the murder and the ex-boyfriend's family claimed that it was amicable, but it doesn't seem that the police find the ex to be a person of interest, at least not that they have publicly stated, which is one of the reasons that I'm hesitant to even cover ongoing cases because, like I said, everyone's going to be suspicious, as they should be. That's the nature of wanting justice. Police should be suspicious of everyone related to the victims, but when the internet starts doing it, it can definitely muddy the waters and mess with the investigation, but also it could ruin people's lives. I'm not stating my personal opinion. I just am compiling what I found online for you. So just to make it extra clear, the police as of right now have cleared the two first floor roommates, the ex-boyfriend, and the mystery man at the food truck, and the driver who took the girls home. They have been ruled out of the investigation as of right now. The following morning, on Sunday morning, on November 13th, a 911 call was placed from inside the King Road residence. So this call has not been made public, so we don't know exactly what transpired, but the call was either from one of the two first floor roommates, their surviving roommates. They called the police and the authorities have not confirmed anything, but we do know that the call was placed in relation to someone losing consciousness. So whether that meant that one of the roommates found the victims and thought they were unconscious and called the police, or maybe one roommate found the victims, passed out from shock, and the other roommate found them passed out. Heavily speculated. So the police rush to the scene. They find Zayna and Ethan first in Zayna's room on the second floor. They find Kaylee and Maddie in the same room. So sometimes they would sleep in the same room, you know, when they were drunk. And they were found on the third floor in one of the bedrooms. Do we know, like, the state that they were found in? We have a vague idea, but not because the police released it. It's speculated online that it was a very gruesome scene and the murder weapon has now been indirectly confirmed to be a knife. The time of death was confirmed by the police to be 3 to 5 a.m. Some of the victims have defensive marks on their bodies. Not all, but some. The authorities would not specify which victims had defensive wounds. There were allegedly no signs of sexual violence on any of the victims. And at first, the police did not confirm the method of murder or the murder weapon. But we now know it's a knife because police started asking local businesses to come forward if they had any information of anyone in the area that had recently purchased a fixed blade knife. So a fixed blade knife 
means it doesn't fold in. So like typically people will buy like pocket knives that fold in or even just like pretty good hunting knives, they fold in. A fixed blade knife is usually stronger because it doesn't fold in, but it's more inconvenient. You got to get a cover for it. You know, most people are not carrying it around on a daily basis. People usually use it primarily for camping trips, hunting, wilderness survival. It's definitely not like a Swiss pocket knife that people just have. So this caused obviously a lot of discourse on social media because killing one person with a knife is not an easy task. Killing four I mean, the question is, how did nobody hear? Like, nobody screamed? Some of the victims had defensive wounds, right? Did they scream at all? How did nobody hear? Like, the two surviving roommates on the first floor. Even if they didn't hear, why were they not killed? The two roommates on the first floor, they stated that they did not hear any screams. A lot of people have a hard time with this answer because it just doesn't make sense to them. Like, how do you not hear anything? But a former tenant of the house came forward and said, no, the house is very well insulated. Not a lot of noise traveled between the different rooms. It's why it was so popular for college students to live in that house. Like second floor residents could have a gathering and then you could be studying for finals on the third floor. But then... Another tenant came forward and he told ABC News... Previous tenant? Yeah. Okay. This is definitely an old creaky house. It's speculated that with um, maybe the first floor roommates having sleeping in after a night out, probably they'd been drunk and, you know, maybe they heard nothing because they're in like an alcohol-induced sleep. That makes sense to me. They were asleep. They can't hear what's going on upstairs. Maybe the defensive wounds were on the third floor victims. So the closest floor to them, they didn't hear because maybe those victims... They were asleep when it happened. So that leads to the speculation that whoever the killer or killers was must have entered the house from the second floor through the back patio, sliding glass door, which side note, there's no signs of forced entry in the whole house. So they entered through the back door, which would lead them to the second floor. From there, they attacked Zayna and Ethan and then went upstairs to kill Kaylee and Maddie, which is why a lot of people think that either Kaylee or Maddie were the target of these killings, if it was a targeted attack. Because the fact that they went cleared the second floor, and then kept going to one of the floors. Now, if it had been pure bloodlust, like a serial killer who's going through a rampage, wouldn't they clear the whole house? Why spare two on the first floor? So that's the theory right now. But here's the thing. The first floor residents weren't the only potential witnesses who reportedly hadn't seen or heard anything. Between 3.10 a.m. and 3.30 a.m., the whole neighborhood was pretty busy. This is a college neighborhood. 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, I mean, there was a lot of activity. It wasn't just quiet. Even just a few hundred yards away from King Road, there was this field. And the police were recording an interview with a bunch of young college students who had beers in their hands. And in the background, you can see other college students just going about their night. Is there a reason why you stop back there? Yeah. We saw him talk to him, right. so we didn't know. Okay, we yelled at you guys and then turned around because he walked up on him. I yelled at you guys, you didn't stop. Oh, I did not hear you. Yeah. Well, let's walk back over here, okay? So it's not a quiet area. It's not eerily silent where everybody is fast asleep and nobody can see you being sketchy and sneaking into someone's house. And yet it seems, on record, at least what we know of right now, nobody witnessed or heard anything. Nobody reported any screams. Nobody saw a bloody killer fleeing the murder scene, which, mind you, there is a rumor that a neighbor said they saw the first floor door open during the time of the murders. From all accounts that I could find, this was not verified. But um, that led to a lot of internet people being like, wait a minute, if the killer went through the front door, that means they went through the first floor, which means why were the residents on the first floor spared? But again, I do think the killer was probably soaked in blood. 
because killing someone with a knife is not quick and it's not going to be clean. The chief medical examiner of this case named Kathy, she's been surprisingly vocal on this case, which a lot of experts have been giving her heat for, like slamming her. They think that she should stay tight-lipped like law enforcement. Some have even accused her of trying to get her two seconds of fame. Um, Well, there was a lot of blood. It's a very sad scene with four uh, murdered college students. I believe that the press release was that they were from a sharp object. She said, and I quote, it was a pretty traumatic scene to find four dead college students in a residence. It has to be someone that's pretty angry in order to stab four people to death. We can assume that the killer probably had a lot of blood on their hands, literally. Which brings us to this viral photo. This is a photo of the outside wall of Zana's bedroom. Law enforcement and authorities have not confirmed if this substance is blood, but it looks like blood leaking on the exterior of the house. The picture is very unsettling. If it is blood, I mean, I can't even imagine the sheer quantity of blood that was inside the room for it to leak out like that. We don't know what the substance is. We don't know if it was there prior to the murders, but it's been a huge part of the online discourse, so I'm including it. So the most popular theory right now as to who the killer is, is that a lot of people speculate that Kaylee had a stalker. There's a few reasons. People think that this was a targeted attack against Kaylee. Again, this is pure speculation. But Kaylee had mentioned to a few friends that she thought someone was stalking or following her the weeks before the murder. Kaylee's father has also spoken with the press, and he said that Kaylee's body had substantially more injuries than the other victims. I've been told that there were differences in the way the victims were killed. Some were more severe than the other. I'll cut to the chase there means of death don't match. Their their points of damage don't match. I'm just going to say it. So this threw the internet into a frenzy. And a month before the murders, a few witnesses reported seeing Kaylee being followed into a local business by two men. And they followed her out. Now, the police found those two men, interviewed them, and ruled them out as potential suspects. But that doesn't mean that she didn't have a stalker or that someone wasn't out there to get her. Now, if it was Kaylee's stalker or even someone targeting Maddie or one of them, I think the murder scene in the situation makes sense, you know, going through the second floor, then going up and then leaving. That's still just a speculation. The Moscow police originally issued a statement addressing community concerns. And they said, based on information from the preliminary investigation, investigators believe that this was an isolated, targeted attack and there is no imminent threat to the community at large. Basically, the next day, they said, we cannot say there's no threat to the community. As we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity and be aware of your surroundings at all times students stop going to class they're going back home they're terrified there's no answers kaylee's parents gave a public statement kaylee's father's speech was like devastating he said the girls were absolutely beautiful they've been friends since sixth grade and everything every day they just did it together you know they would do homework together they came to each other's houses together they shared everything they went to high school together they started looking at colleges together and then they got into college together they eventually got the same apartment together and in the end they died together in the same room and in the same bed and it's a shame and it hurts Kaylee's dad said his only source of comfort was the fact that Kaylee and Maddie spent their last moments together. These girls were absolutely beautiful. They had been friends since sixth grade, and every day they did homework together, they came to our house together, they shared everything. So then they went to high schools together. Then they started looking at colleges. They came here together. They eventually get into the same apartment together. And in the end, they died together. It's a shame. And it hurts, but the beauty of the two always being together is something that will, will, it comforts us, it lets us know 
that they were with their, their best friends in the whole world. Matt, he has such a bright future, as all these kids did. The world is a darker place without them, but the light of their, the light of their love and memories will always guide us all. Zana was such a light in my life and so many others. She was a person I could relate to the most and she understood and she knew and understood me more than anyone. Losing her is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through and it has left me heartbroken. She would always tell me she wouldn't know what to do without me and now I have to live this life without her. I love her so much and I wish I would have had I would have spent more time with her and had the chance to continue spending time with her. And then I heard that she found Ethan and fell in love. And at that point, I thought to myself that I'm so glad she found love because we all really don't know what love is until we love. And as short as her life was, I'm glad she got to have that experience. The police have said they don't want to risk compromising the integrity of their investigation by releasing information that could help the killer get away with it. They have put out a bulletin for this car. Um, it was seen in the immediate area of the crime scene. It's a 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra, and the authorities believe the car owner may have something to add to the investigation. A state lawmaker said, you know, nobody wants to send their kids to a community where they could face this kind of horror. It's every parent's worst nightmare. It's every student's worst nightmare. They've got to find the perpetrator. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about spot pet a few years back it would have just eased so much of that stress our partner spot pet insurance is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected because with spot pet insurance you can get up to 90 percent cash back on eligible vet bills our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times and we need to be there for them too go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly visit spotpet.com paid ad from spot pet insurance waiting periods annual deductibles coinsurance benefit limits and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. To be completely transparent with you, I am still at that stage in my life where if you tell me, hey, something's going to make you feel better or something's going to make your skin clear, I'll probably be like, give me the clear skin. But growing up is realizing that you can have both. And I have made it a habit to implement things in my life that let me have both. Did you know that your gut health really impacts your skin health? And not just skin, apparently your gut health can impact your immune system, your energy levels, even your mental health. That is why I've now added my favorite probiotic 
from Symbiotica to my morning routine. It sounds weird to say, but Symbiotica's health supplements are now part of my skincare routine almost. If you guys don't know, Symbiotica is a supplement company that only uses clean premium ingredients in its formulas. No seed oils, no fillers, no additives, no natural flavors, and no artificial ingredients. Symbiotica also formulates all of their supplements for optimal absorption. For example, I love their vitamin C so much, which is also really good for your skin. If you didn't know, everybody loves it. I mean, it's probably the most popular vitamin C amongst all of my friends and family. We love Symbiotica. Their vitamin C is formulated with liposomal technology, which basically means the vitamin C is delivered to the part of your digestive tract where it can be optimally absorbed. And I just love throwing one in my bag on the go, especially when I'm traveling. Symbiotica makes it so easy to stick to a routine, not just because of their supplements being great and tasting great and making me feel great, but also because they get delivered monthly. That means I never have to worry about refilling my supplements or running out. And it's just so easy to pause a delivery or add a new supplement to my delivery. With Symbiotica, I've really noticed an improvement in my skin health, but also I feel like I have more energy and mental clarity. Symbiotica has countless high quality supplements that you can choose from. Sleep supplements, cognitive supplements, anti-aging supplements. If you're not sure which supplements would be best for your specific needs, you can do a short quiz on Symbiotica's website and they'll recommend what you could benefit from. This year is your year. Are you ready to feel the results? Head over to symbiotica.com and use code ROTTEN for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. That's symbiotica.com and use code ROTTEN. So 28-year-old Brian Koberger was arrested. And if you're like, wait, who? Like, this is a new name and face that's popping up in this case. Here's what we know about this guy so far. At least to public knowledge, we don't know if he has a connection with any of the victims in Idaho. He was arrested in Pennsylvania, which is like the other side of the country, near the Poconos Mountains area. And he owns the white Hyundai Elantra, is the speculation. Because a white Hyundai Elantra has been taken into police custody. Wait, so how far away was that? So it's like 2,000 miles. It's like on the other wow. side. Yeah, Pennsylvania is like East Coast. So he traveled not yeah. only there, but also traveled back home. So or- he didn't travel there. His his parents live in Pennsylvania. He's visiting them for, the I guess, the holidays, right? But he actually lives about nine miles away from the crime scene, but in a different state. We're going to get into it. So um, Brian Koberger, his Hyundai Elantra has been taken into custody. His DNA has also said to have been matched to genetic material recovered at the crime scene. Authorities use genetic genealogy to ID him. But we do know that Brian Koberger just finished his first semester as a PhD student at Washington State University. So that sounds really far from Idaho, right? And and, and it's not. It's actually a 15-minute drive. So the Washington State University is a border town in Washington. So the school is only 15 minutes away. It's a nine-mile distance from the two schools. He was studying criminal justice, criminology. He was even a teaching assistant for the university's criminal justice and criminology program, which again, that has spurred a lot of talk online, especially because there's an alleged Reddit post that he allegedly made in May of 2022. Um, It has since been pulled from Reddit, but it was posted under Brian Koberger. Now, who's to say someone doesn't have the same name and is also in criminology? Who's to say they didn't go to the same college? Who's to say any of that, right? But the post itself is very, very creepy. It was posted on Reddit to talk about a study that he was doing. And he was looking to recruit research participants for it. And the purpose of the study was to, and I quote, to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. 
It read, in particular, this study seeks to understand the story behind your most recent criminal offense with an emphasis on your thoughts and feelings throughout your experience. In the event that your most recent offense was not one that led to a conviction, you may still participate. He's looking for people who got away with something. Yeah, and he's asking like, what we want to know the psychology of why you made certain decisions, why you committed this crime, what were your feelings and emotions while you committed this crime. Again, a lot of questions. If this Reddit post is his Reddit post, it's just, it only brings up more questions and they're not going to get answered anytime soon. Local authorities and the FBI worked closely together with tracking him to this small town in Pennsylvania, which is his hometown that he was visiting his parents in. The FBI had been watching that house for several days before a specialized team of state troopers and federal agents moved in, arrested him like two in the morning. So what we still don't know is, though, if they've recovered the murder weapon, whether or not he knew the four victims, or maybe he only knew one of them, which, you know, there's speculation that it was one more than the others, but it's really hard to say right now. Someone who knew Brian Koberger from school that he graduated from, they said um, Brian was confident, outgoing, but he was, and I quote, he was always looking for a way to fit in. I, I had honestly just pegged him as a super awkward person. One thing he would always do almost without fail, though, was find the most complicated way to explain something. He had to make sure that you knew that he knew it. Hmm, that's a very interesting personality trait. Yeah, that's a very specific. Like, you don't hear that often with people. You don't hear like, oh, they did this or they did that. This is like a very specific it's so specific. Mm -hmm. There have been more allegations of this guy's character made from different sources, which have been considered more like tabloids, right? So such as sources like the Daily Mail, the New York Post. But they allegedly said that Brian Koberger had an obsessive personality when it came to eating habits. Allegedly, he was a vegan and he wouldn't eat anything his parents cooked if it was like on a frying pan that had cooked meat a day ago. Allegedly, he made his parents buy all new pots and pans to cook his vegan meals. I don't know. Again, we don't know if this is true, and it is kind of bizarre, but I wouldn't say this is particularly killer behavior or anything like that. It, it's like right now being used as information to prove that he is a deranged killer, which I'm not saying that he's not, but I'm just saying um, it's getting wild again. People are also saying that his eyes look soulless, that he looks like an unhinged sociopath. I think that's easy to say in hindsight, right? Every killer looks like a killer once they're convicted or charged. But um, so far, that's all we have. Um, he's waiting in Pennsylvania to be extradited to Idaho. And hopefully in Idaho, we're going to get more answers. Ethan Chapin's family made a statement and they said, you know, we're relieved that this chapter is over because it provides a form of closure. However, it doesn't alter the outcome or alleviate the pain. We miss Ethan and our family has changed forever. Kaylee's father has said, when Brian gets extradited to Idaho, we'll be waiting. He says, and I quote, this guy will have to look me in the eyes multiple times and I'm going to be looking for the truth. And so far, that's all we have. Thankfully, it does feel like we are one step closer to justice, but I don't know if you can even, if the families of the victims will ever get closure for something like this. There's also been question of, did he do this alone? There have been um, allegations that he had asked the police if he was the only one arrested, whether he asked from the viewpoint of a criminal justice, you know, PhD student, or from the viewpoint of he was intrigued. I'm not sure. And I don't even know if that was real. It's just alleged information. So we don't know if he was working alone. We don't know if they recovered the murder weapon. We don't know much, but at least we know that somebody is in custody and he is not getting out on bail. 
what are your thoughts or have you guys been following this case let me know in the comments and please stay safe i'll see you guys tomorrow